amen. Let's just uh, praise the Lord for being so good to us all the time this morning. Amen. And thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us. And if, if you didn't get led today, it wasn't because they weren't leading. You just weren't willing to follow. And uh, the Lord was here, and he was waiting on you, so we'll try it again later. How about that? Hey, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We are in Exodus chapter 20. We're going through the book of Exodus. It's what we do. And it's called Exodus on the move because everything's on the move. Now, right in the middle of this book, chapter 20, we find these incredible, incredible instructions for life. They're called the Ten Commandments. And so we're doing a mini-series inside the major series. It's called the Ten Commandments. And we're talking about all ten of them in ten weeks or eleven weeks. And so uh, we are on commandment number two. So you can find your place in your Bible, your device, Exodus chapter 20. That's where we're going to be. And uh, we talked last week, commandment number one is, is that there should be one God. Everybody stick one finger up, one God. Now everybody put two fingers up. Number two commandment is two is too many. Okay. Now, I'm going to help you remember these things with 10 fingers. One God, two is too many, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, one God simply means this. There is only, uh, there is only one God. Commandment two is there's only one way to worship that one God. There is one God and one way to worship him. And so God's going to give us instructions. It's not left to our own uh, 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 inventions okay, of, of, of how to worship him. We'd have to create this thing. He tells us how he wants us to worship him. And in the process of doing so, what we're going to learn today is that we got to root out. we got to do some house cleaning, spring cleaning. we got to get rid of some of the stuff that come in between us, that, that kind of put posture or position themselves in between us and the true and living God. Now, just to help you realize that this is real, the reason for the instruction is because we have a problem with this. You have a problem with it, maybe not today, but you've had it in the past. You probably have it in the future. We all have a problem. So these idols, these graven, crafted images that we use, these are things that God says that you begin to rely on rather than me. And sometimes you may construct it to help remind you of God, but often there's things that we just pick up. It might look like a lucky charm in your pocketbook or in your pocket. It might look like a rabbit foot. Anybody ever carry a rabbit's foot? Poor rabbit. Shame on you. Okay. What about maybe a crucifix? Well, not, whoa, 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 pastor, I thought that's, that's Jesus-y. I mean, that's good. We're going to talk about that today. What about a Buckeye necklace? Any Buckeye fans? Got one right down here in the front. Okay. He first married uh, Kelsey. He'd show up, Buckeye necklace. He's rubbing them together, putting some juju on them. I don't know what he was doing. Now, you laugh at him. He's a Buckeye fan. What about you with your orange underwear? You've been wearing them four seasons straight, never washed them because you don't want to lose. What about you? Okay. All of these things, you see, we begin to place our hope and our trust and our faith that they're going to pro uh, provide something that we desire in our life. Now, you take all of them. If you don't believe they're real, you roll them all together and you make a TV show called what? American Idol. Idols are real. Okay. And God is seriously real against them. And so we're going to understand a little bit more about it today. <clears throat> I want you to know something today. There's only one thing in your life. Point, it, point to the person next to you and say he's talking to you. There's only one thing in your life that should be in the image of God. You ready? It's you. You see, God created you to be an image bearer 
of him. Now it's broken. It's like looking into a mirror. It doesn't reflect properly or accurately. It's distorted. It's got some cracks and some breaks in it. But he wants to restore that. He wants to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ, which is the perfect image created in the image of God. That's why he wants you to be like Jesus. Because when you're like Jesus, you're like God. Because Jesus is God. You don't believe that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created humankind in his own image. Fair. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Pronouns. They're right there in the first chapter. And they're where they should be. That's why we shouldn't mess around with that stuff. God created males to be in the image of God male. God created females to be in the image of God female. He created them and you just how he wanted you to be. But the problem is it's broken. And so he's in the process of redeeming it. And writing the story over. And conforming it to the image. The original image of God through Jesus his son. Now. Sometimes they fall in categories, these idols. Sometimes it may be a religion can be an idol. A celebrity superstar can be an idol. A sport, a team, a school, an animal, nature, a personal right or agenda. And listen to me. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with any of those things. There's nothing really wrong with any of those things. But when those things climb up on our chart in significance above the place of God, commandment number two begins to wave its hand and say, ah, I got you on that one too. And I want you to know something. When we fail at commandment number two, we automatically fail at commandment number one. So it's important that we get this. Now, on the back of your life guide, you'll see that the title of the message is called this. From who to, to how to. Commandment number one is who we're supposed to worship. Commandment two, how we're supposed to worship him. So on your life guide, you'll see point number one is this. A distortion of God. The reason God doesn't want graven images, the reason God doesn't want you to fabricate or create an image to help you know or worship or experience God is because no matter how good you may create this image, it ultimately will be a distorted image of God. Listen to what he says in Exodus 20 verse four. He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water below. <clears throat> he says, I don't want you to make anything to help you point yourself to me. Because whatever you do, it's going to be messed up. Now, commandment number two, like commandment number four, are controversial commandments. Now, some of them are not quite as controversial. Like, thou shalt not murder. Most people, with any sense about it, say, yeah, that's a good one. We'll go with it. Most people would agree, thou shalt not commit adultery. We'd say, yes, yeah, we shouldn't do that, you know. But here's one that we, we want to argue with, and number four, which we'll see in a couple weeks, we want to debate about, okay? It's controversial. Why? Because it, it pushes back against something that we naturally desire. In this case, um, some religions have changed their view of the Ten Commandments. They divide them differently because they don't like that as a commandment. Let me give you an example. There's many. 
but I'm going to say the Catholic Church. If you're Catholic and you're visiting here, no, I don't have anything against Catholic Church. I don't have anything against you. I love you. Jesus loves you too. Okay? But the Catholic Church, as an example, they don't number the Ten Commandments like the Protestant Church does. They don't number, they don't call, do not have any graven Im- images, Commandment 2. It's like Commandment 1B. They just roll it together. Well, how do they get 10? They go to the 10th one, which is coveting stuff, and they divide it into 9 and 10. Don't covet their stuff. Don't covet their wife. Okay, they divide that one. Okay? Now, in doing so, it liberated them a little bit. They kind of look over or look past the part about making these graven images. So, if you go to a Catholic church or you're raised in a Catholic uh, church, you maybe went to a Catholic school, you'll see that they've got icons, sculptures, paintings. They've got all of these things to help them, help point them to God. And it's, and it's, and it's a little risky. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that every one of those are a sin. I'm just saying it's a little bit risky. And, and so the commandment is, is given to warn us about anything we create is going to be a distorted view of God. It's not going to be comprehensive. And so commandment two is not a prohibition against art or sculptures or icons. It's a prohibition against what we do with them. Okay? Honestly, I don't think God cares if you carry around a rabbit's foot. I'm, I don't know why you would, but, you know, I don't think God's real worried about it. But if you, but if, if every time something comes up, you get your little rabbit's foot out and you give it a little rub, I think commandment two says, hey, whoa. Okay? I don't think God has a problem if you wear a cross around your neck or a crucifix around your neck. But if every time you pray, you know, you got to get your juju going, you rub it a little bit, you know, and do your sign. God, I think commandment two is saying, hold on with that one. Okay, He's not against those things. He's against what we do with those things. You see, we have a tendency to, to craft and create and, and form and fashion these things that, that we rely on. And sometimes we even do them under, under the idea that, that it's going to help us know God or stay connected to God more. And so sometimes we're like the little boy in the second grade. He's drawing on a piece of paper, and the teacher came by and noticed. She said, hey, what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she said, well, I don't think anybody really knows what God looks like. He said, they will in a few minutes. (laughs) You see, we become that little second-grade boy sometimes, and we think, okay, I've got this thing that's going to help me know God more. Now, why is that a problem? Well, as an example... The crucifix. The crucifix is great, man. It shows Jesus on a cross, and that's awesome. We're products as Christians of the crucifix. We're products of Jesus on a cross. If you have been adopted into God's forever family and you plan on spending eternity in heaven, it is 100% because Jesus died on a cross. Amen. That's good news. But it's a distortion. It says nothing about his eternal past nature with God. It says nothing about him sustaining all of the created order. The crucifix says nothing about the resurrection or the empty tomb or his ascension. The crucifixion says nothing about his eternal state being the the Lord of lords and the prince of peace, all of our gods. It's, It's a distortion, you see. And so we've got to be careful with distorted views. Another one might be, in the religious circle, our Bible. You say the Bible can be an idol? Sure it can. There are people who believe that if it ain't KJV, it ain't Bible. You may have seen that on a bumper sticker. 
that if it's not King James, it's not the Bible. Some of those people, I think, believe Jesus spoke King's English. The Bible was not written in King James. The Bible was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and Jesus spoke them all. He's God. But we get hung up on that stuff. And, and all of a sudden, this, these things become a distortion of God and his will for our life. So how do we make sense of it all? So in fairness, the commandment is clear. Don't make graven or synthetic icons of worship. But God is not against art. God is not against ornate things. God is not against beauty. God is not against things that, 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 uh, that point to the greatness of God. It's when those things become as significant as God, they become a problem. Let me, let me show you. Exodus 25, 18. This is what God said. They're building the temple, getting it ready. It says, you are to make two cherubim of gold. You're to make them. God's telling them to do this. He says, you are to make them of hammered metal on the two ends of the atonement lid. Make one cherub on the end and one cherub on the other end. From the atonement lid, you are to make the cherubim on the two ends. The cherubim are to spread their wings upward, overshadowing the atonement lid with their other wings, and their cher the cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the atonement lid. He goes on in Exodus 36, and he describes the curtain. is to be made of certain colors of fabric, and it's to have uh, angels or cherubim embroidered on the curtain. So God is not against ornate things. God is against us allowing ornate things getting in the way of our relationship, our walk, our understanding of the vastness of God. You, you see, the reason God's worried about distortion because anything we make, anything we make will never paint a picture of the maker of all things. Anything we create will never scratch the surface of the creator of all things. He's God. He's way out there, big time God. We don't have words to describe him. How would we have things to describe him? And so sometimes we allow things to get in the way of us in worship, and they become idols. Let me give you an example of some idols in the church. You ready? The hymn book. The hymn book. There are people that if you're not singing out, singing out of a blueback, pink-paged, edged hymn book, you can't worship. That's an idol. There's people who believe if you don't have a pew rather than a chair, it's not really church. There's people who believe that if you don't wear a necktie, you can't really be a preacher. Some people believe if you do wear a necktie, you can't be a preacher. Some people believe if you don't have a, a, a keyboard, an organ in the service, you can't worship. Some people believe if you do have one, you can't worship. That'd be Church of Christ. Okay? They're all over. And they become idols. They become things that we have elevated, not to help us worship, but to hinder our worship of the true and living God. Now, here's the thing. Why does God drive this home with a commandment? Why does he make this subtle change in our life so significant? Why does he say, I don't want the little stuff. The little stuff matters in your life. Tell the person next to you, the little stuff matters. The little stuff matters in your life a lot. Let me give you an example. Anybody in here play golf? Anybody in here try to play golf? Okay, that's better. It's a better question. Now, let me tell you something about the golf swing. It's incredible. You have this little ball, you have a club face. And... The swing has a lot of components. I mean, you've got posture and stance and alignment. 
You've got the takeaway. You've got the backswing. You've got the impact, the follow-through. I mean, these are all components of the golf swing. And all of them have to be spot on at the fraction of a second when the club face meets the surface of that little golf ball. Now, let's just say it's not. Let's just say you've opened up your stance and now the club face is open coming at the ball and it impacts the ball. You're not going to notice that subtle difference in the first 6 to 12 inches, okay? But you move that ball 250 yards down in front of you, now all of a sudden it's not between you and your target. It's in the swimming pool of a madman. It's in the poison ivy, okay? It's somewhere it shouldn't be. But that subtle change, right there at the first, you didn't notice. Now listen to me. The reason commandment two comes in after commandment one, he says, I want you to have one God and two's too many. He says, I want you to take the little stuff, that little stuff that you tend to lean on, that you tend to focus on, that you tend to talk about, that you tend to just chew on in your dreams. I want you to set that stuff apart, set it aside, and take it away. There's no room for any of it. Why? Because it may not seem important in the moment today, but 250 yards from now, you're going to be in the weeds and not where I called you to be. Okay? You see it? Now, that's what he wants to do because it's distorted. It's, a, it's an imperfect view of what he wants us to see in him. So what we do sometimes is, is you'll hear people say this, well, when I imagine God, I just imagine a godly father who is going to give us what we need and what we want. Okay? Or they say, when I imagine God, I think of a God who's endless love and he lets everybody into heaven. Okay? People say, when I imagine God, I think of just like love and energy and peace. But the truth is, God is not the sum total of the silliness of our imaginations. Our imagination has nothing to do with the great nature of God. God is God, self-defined, self-revealed. We don't conjure up who God should be. God tells us in his word who he is. And God tells us how it is we're supposed to connect with that great God. So we have these subtle changes. We let things get in the way. And they may not affect us right now, but they will long term. Let me give you an example. It's United States of America, 2023. That's where we are. You see, we started as a strong nation. And it was built on biblical, a biblical foundation. And if some egghead has told you different, they're not reading the whole story, okay? That's just the truth. So what we've done is we've subtly and slowly modified our stance, our views, our position regarding God, regarding his word, and how it impacts our personal life and the life of our nation. And so what does it look like? I can show you exactly what it looks like. But listen to me. What I'm getting ready to read to you sounds like it could have been written in an American paper, yes, in yesterday's paper. But it wasn't. It was written 2,000 years ago. Because you see, we didn't create this thing about looking for idols. It's in us. It's our flesh nature to create something that will satisfy. We, we, see, we want a created God. We don't want a creator God. Because the created God, we can create to meet our need. The creator God, he determines that. Okay, we don't like that. Because we don't get to write the script. So this, this was written 2,000 years ago. And it sounds like it was written last, yesterday or last week. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. 
Because what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen because they are understood through what has been made. So people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Now, so what's the result? Okay, that's what we've done in America. That's what they did 2,000 years ago. It's what we do. What's the result of that? Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the desires of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. For their, their women exchanged the natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And likewise, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed in their passions for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what should not be done. They are filled with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, malice. They are rife with envy, murder, strife, deceit, hostility. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, contrivers of all sorts of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, covenant breakers, heartless, ruthless, although they fully know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they also approve of those who practice them. Welcome to America. Welcome to the United States government. Welcome to the school system. Welcome to most of the media and the television, the Hollywood world. That's the world they portray as right and acceptable and good. You see a subtle shift in who our God is. A subtle shift in allowing things to come in as, as distortions and distractions in our life create a problem, which leads me to point number two, distractions from God. So distortions come into our life, and they're painted as right and godly, maybe even God. And, and this distortion then gets in our life, and it becomes a distraction between us and God. It interferes, actually, with our worship. Verse 5 says in Exodus chapter 20, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. Now what was just a distorted view, now it's become a distraction for us. So once we've cre created this distorted view of God to our liking, we prefer this distorted view over the true and living God because it appeases us. It meets our, our needs. It scratches our itch. It, 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 it speaks to us like we want to be spoken to. It allows us to do the things that we want to do, but it helps us identify things in other people that we don't like about them. And all of a sudden, we're no, no longer worshiping God. We've got a distraction in our life. And we're no longer worshiping the right God the right way. Now, the truth is, everybody worships something. 
Everybody worships something somehow, and everybody worships something somehow sometime, okay? Everybody, 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 everybody worships something. The question is, what is it we worship? Who is it we worship? How do we know? We, we begin to construct and contrive and create and craft these things that, are, that become distractions, and, and we elevate them to be the most important thing in our life. And when that happens, commandment number two says, I'm still here, you missed, you missed number two, and you're choking right now on number one, okay? You, you just missed what you're supposed to be about. You forgot, you've run off the tracks, you're in the weeds. You need to get back to where you were. So maybe today you hear this, the first part of this message and you think, I dodged a bullet. I'm good on number two. Me and number two, we're good, okay? So if I'm good with number two, that means I'm doing good with number one, so I must be doing good. Because why? Because I don't have a crucifix around my neck, okay? I haven't rubbed any juju on the crucifix. I'm good, okay? Or maybe uh, it's not that. Maybe I don't have any incense burning in the ashtray, so I'm, I dodged a bullet. I'm under the radar. I'm doing good. Or maybe I don't have a bobblehead of the patron saint of safe travel on my dashboard keeping me safe, you know? Now, you laugh about that. I had a lady one time I worked with. She said, Joel, I can't find my keys. Will you help me? She was serious. This lady's 50 years old. I said, yeah, I'll help you find them. She said, I've already prayed to the patron saint of lost items, so I think I'm going to find it. I said, huh? She said, I prayed to the patron saint of lost items. I said, cool, I didn't know we had that. Can we do that? I didn't, I didn't know we could do that. Okay. There's not a patron saint of lost items. Okay. You lose your keys because you're forgetful. Okay. You hunt till you find them. That's what you do. Okay. But that's the world we live in. Okay. So maybe you don't have that. Maybe you hadn't prayed to the patron saint of lost items or you don't have the bobblehead for patron saint of safe travel. Maybe, maybe, maybe none of that's you. What, what about in your heart? How is your heart? Is it dialed in to the one God one way, like he says? Or are there distortions and distractions that have come in between you and your worship of God? Ezekiel chapter 14 verse 3 God says this he says son of man these men have erected their idols in their hearts and placed the obstacle leading to their iniquity right before their faces should I really allow them to seek me therefore speak to them and say to them this is what the sovereign Lord says when anyone from the house of Israel erects his idols in his heart and sets the obstacle leading to his iniquity before his face, and then consults a prophet, I, the Lord, am determined to answer him personally according to the enormity of his idolatry. That didn't sound very lovey. That sounds pretty hard, because God's serious about it. Now, why is he so serious about it? You ready? Because he loves you. He wrote this from the heart of eternal, agape, self-sacrificial love for mankind. He didn't give commandment one, two, three through 10 to hurt you, but to help you. Not to destroy you, but to develop you, okay? Not to burden you, but to bless you. He gave commandments for, so we know how to live between being saved and going to heaven. 
And just like Israel, they're in the wilderness. They needed instructions of how to live from their salvation at the Red Sea and their deliverance into the promised land. And so he gives these instructions. And he says it in verse 5 of this same passage. Right after he says that he's going to deal with them according to the enormity of their idolatry, he says this. I will do this in order to capture their hearts. That's so sweet. That is so sweet. That the God of the universe looks into the garbage of our life and he says, all I want to do is get in there and clean house and get your heart back. That's his goal for us, is that our hearts would be tuned to him every moment of every day. Not just on Sunday morning, not just during a great song, every moment of every day. So a false idol is anything that becomes our primary concern in life when pleasing and pursuing God is no longer the primary concern in our life. Does that make sense? When something else is the primary concern because God is no longer our primary concern, we have an idol in our life and God is faithful to do whatever it takes to get us back. So we have distortions, we have distractions. Now, God is gonna clear up why he's given us this commandment number two. He goes on now, and this is the dedication of God. He's gonna tell us why he's doing this because he's dedicated to you. He is dedicated to you every moment of every day for all of eternity. Yahweh, the true and living God, is dedicated to you. More dedicated than you've ever been to anything or anybody else on the planet. He's dedicated to you. He says, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Wow. I didn't think jealousy was a good thing. Why is he jealous? This commandment and all of God's commandments can be summed up, you ready, in one simple word, love. That's why God gave us the commandments, because he loves us. Because he loves us. And, and he's not just loving us in word. He loves us in deed. And, and he, he's never compromised in his love toward us. He may be hard on us. He may discipline us. He may chasten us. But he never stops loving us. He's dedicated to us. And when we're born again in his spirit, when, when we are adopted into God's forever family, it's a big deal. It's a big deal what God is doing. Because it came at a price. You see, the reason he's dedicated to you is because he's in a covenant relationship with you. And that covenant relationship with you is sealed in the sacrificial blood of Jesus, his forever perfect son. And when he takes the blood of his son, beaten, crucified on a cross, and he wipes it over your sinful condition, you're in covenant with him. It's a big deal to him because it cost him his son. It's pretty big, right? Now, the problem is it's a big deal to him, but often it's no longer a big deal to us. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says it should be a big deal. Here's what it says in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? He says, for you were bought at a price Therefore, glorify God with your body. Now, he says, because of my dedication to you, 
because of what it cost me to purchase you? He says, I'm jealous. I don't care to tell you, I'm a jealous God. And we live in a world where jealousy is a bad word, right? Well, we shouldn't be jealous. I've had men tell me something. Will you talk to my wife? She needs to stop being so jealous of just any woman that comes around in my life. Or a woman to say, you need to tell my husband he needs to back off, give me some space, stop being so jealous. Hey, are you married? Y'all are married? Then shut up. A man ought to be jealous over somebody that's going to inter- interfere with the love of his life. A woman ought to be jealous about some, some yahoo sniffing around on her husband. <laughs> I don't know that anybody ever sniffs around. I don't know where they came from. <laughs> but if they do, she needs to be jealous of it. No sniffers coming around here, okay? Jealousy is, is bad because we've made it a bad word. People that are in covenant relationship with each other protect that covenant. And they protect it with a heart of jealousy. Jealous because I only want what's best for this relationship. And all that stuff out there, that's not best for this. So I'm jealous about it. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, 15 times the word jealous shows up. In the New Testament, it shows up once. It's okay to be jealous. And if you don't like that word jealous, zealous. He's zealous for this covenant relationship that he's in with the people that he calls his own. <laughs> so Kendra and I have been married a long time. And uh, honestly, since we've been married, there had not been much jealousy, you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any women come sniffing around. Okay? <laughs> that would change everything, ladies. Uh, but I had one, she thought. Now, so we'd been married for a while, about 25 years ago, I came home from work. I've never been unfaithful to her, okay? She knows it. She's never been unfaithful to me. If you haven't, I find out, we'll just kill you. So <laughs> that's what grace is for. Now, so I came home from work one day. I said, hey, babe, how's your day? She goes, fine. Men, have you ever heard, have you ever heard this? Fine. Head nod and everything, it ain't just fine. And I said, is something wrong? No, everything's good. I mean, she's shaking like that. And I said, it don't sound good. It's fine. So I turned to walk off. No, it's not fine. I'll tell you what's not fine. I said, okay, what's not fine? She said, Sherry's not fine. Who's Sherry? I said, I I don't know Sherry. Oh, yes, you do. No, I don't know Sherry. I I had a cousin growing up named Sherry. I don't think I know another Sherry. And, and, And I said, who's Sherry? She's the girl that called here, wanting to talk to you. And I said, what'd she say? She said, uh, and this is how she did it. She, she says, is Joel there? She said, no, he's not home from work yet. Who is this? This is Sherry. And then, and then she said, she changed. She goes, uh, I'll call back later. I hung up the phone. Well, she just set me up for a bad day. And I don't even know her. And I said, I, I don't know Sherry. Well, she, she wanted to believe me, but she didn't believe me for about a year. And I told this story to people later. I found out they didn't believe me either. They, they thought I really knew Sherry. So for the record, TV, I don't know. I didn't know Sherry. So about a year later, there's a boy started visiting our youth group. And uh, he said, hey, yeah, he says, uh, my mom was going to get you to uh, renovate our home. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, she called you about a year ago. I said, what's your mom's name? He said, Sherry. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Kendra, come here. What's your mama's name? And she called me about a year ago. He said, Sherry? Sherry. Now, 
she was jealous, and there was, she was jealous of somebody didn't even exist, okay? Now, I tell you that story because jealousy can, can mess you up if the motivation is not right, but I want you to un- understand something. God is jealous for you because he loves you. He paid your debt price. He rescued from an eternal position in hell and set your feet on a pathway and a trajectory to be with him forever. And because of that, he's jealous for other stuff that might try to come in and mess up your relationship and your worship with God. And maybe it's not tangible. Maybe it's in your heart. So we have distortion, distraction, and the dedication of God. Now, why is our obedience to this command such a big deal? Does it affect us? Does it have an impact personally on our life? Well, God goes on like he does stuff, and he tells us the rest of the story. He doesn't doesn't hold out, okay? He goes on, and he gives us the declaration of God regarding this sin and this commandment. He says, responding to the transgression of fathers by dealing with children to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Now, hold on. This sounds a little bit out of balance. It sounds like God's saying, listen, if you have idols in your life and you reject me as number one God in your life, I'm going to visit the curse, your, your sin penalty, your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, they're all going to be paying the cost for your sin. That's a misinterpretation. And there are people who have taught that. Listen to what this is not saying. If my grandfather was a murderer and a drunk and an adulterer, it doesn't mean I am under the penalty of his sin. It doesn't mean I'm cursed and I'm going to be a drunk, a murderer, and an adulterer. It doesn't mean that. Listen, you are responsible for you before God. That's it. Not your neighbor, not your kids, not your parents, not your spouse. You. Everybody say me. You are responsible for yourself before God. I'm responsible for me. I'm not responsible for you. But now listen to me. What he's saying is if you are a father or a mother, a leader in a family, and you live a life that, is, that ha- is full of idolatry and it's not committed to God, your children and your grandchildren, they watch that life and you influence their life. And what he's saying is it's not unlikely that if you hate God or you live like you hate God, it's not unlikely that your children and your grandchildren and your grandchildren will pick up those traits and file suit and live just like you do. And God says, and when they do, I will hold them responsible for their sin just like I hold you responsible for your sin. God is declaring That your life of obedience to God matters. It matters into the future. Because how you live your life teaches, trains, and transfers by example how you're supposed to live to the people that are younger than you in your family that watch you. That's a big deal. And I'm going to be transparent. Sometimes I've choked on this. I have two Wonderful daughters. I love them with my life. I have four grandchildren. I don't even have words to describe the love for those grandkids. Okay? 
I get to pastor this wonderful church and my example matters. And sometimes I mess it up. And sometimes you've messed it up too. I know sometimes some of you have looked at your children and you say that old expression, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, that's what that's a product of. They saw me mess up my life and they live like that too. Listen to me. That's where Jesus comes in. Jesus redeems all that. We've all messed stuff up. That's, that's the reason for the cross. It's the reason for the Ten Commandments, to prove that we really know how to mess things up. God redeems that. God redeems that. Your children will be responsible for themselves. They get to choose volitionally, willfully. They get to choose their life. And their decisions are not your decision. There are things in their life that are a product of you. You passed things on to them through DNA, hair color, eye color, skin color, uh, um, size, some of those n that nature. You know, you're not going to have two five foot six people give birth to a seven foot tall NBA player. It ain't happening, okay? Because there's a DNA structure. But even that, you you, you you've got um, you've got things in your life, events, tragedies in your life that impact your life. But listen to me. We are not products of the people who lived before us, our ancestors. We are not products simply of a DNA chain. We are not products of mistakes that we've made in the past. We are not products of bad things that have happened to us in our past. In Jesus' name, we are products of what Jesus died on a cross to redeem us and make us to be, listen to me, and that is to be an image bearer of the Most High God. He sets us free. He sets us free. That's good news. It's good news. Good news. I like reminding myself of that. And it's good news for you as well. So... Is there a sin curse? If this is not talking about a sin curse, are you saying there's no sin curse that came from our parents? I didn't say that. I said there's no sin curse that came from your immediate parents. Oh, you, you got a sin curse that came from your parents. Your really, really old parents. Their names were Adam and Eve. You got that sin curse. That's why Jesus came to fix that one too. You see, in Romans 5, chapter, 12, chapter 5, verse 12, it says, So then, just as sin entered the world through one man <clears throat> and death through sin, so death spread to all people. Now listen to the next words. Because all sinned. I want you to hear that. It doesn't say death spread to all people because Adam and Eve sinned. Death spread to all people because we all sinned. Adam and Eve just started it. They opened the door for it, okay? And so, so, so we have this sin proclivity. And the choices I make are my choices. And the choices you make are your choices. And it's important for me because if I'm going to lead my family, I better live right in front of my family. I can't lead somebody someplace I don't go. And the target audience here, if you'll remember, it said to those who hate God, 
You're here today. You probably don't hate God. Certainly hope you don't. If you do, I pray the Holy Spirit will rattle your cage and you'll learn to love him because he loves you more than you know. And that what he just said is for people who hate and reject God, which leads me to the final point. The final point is the devotion of God. He finishes his commandment and he says, while he's, while he's dealing with the sins of the generation after the generation of those who hate God, at the same time, verse 6, he says, and showing covenant faithfulness to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Ah. He says, but those people who love me, so maybe you once upon a time didn't live for God. You messed it all up, but now you love God. You're devoted for God, uh, devoted to God. He says, you are in covenant faithfulness with God for a thousand generations. He's going to redeem it. He's going to turn it around. He's going to change things, okay? That's what he's promised to do. The commandments to God, are he's serious about this stuff. He said, listen, I am your God. I made you, I formed you, I fashioned you just like I want you to be. I want to use you in my kingdom. I want you to be forever with me. And I've done everything possible to make that happen. But you have to get to a place where just like Joshua told the nation of Israel, he said, choose you this day who you will serve. And then he said, and as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We got a choice. We all, we all get to make a choice. So we started talking about idols. An idol is anything that we depend upon to meet the deep needs of our heart, to satisfy our pursuit of love, to feel the desires that we have for security, for personal worth and significance. Anything that we pursue other than God in those areas is an idol. And there are many. And John Calvin said this really well. He said, the human heart is an idol factory. Martin Luther said, anything on which your heart relies and depends, that is your God. So the question is, do you have any idols in your life? I hope not, but you probably do. Do you have any idols in your heart? Things that keep you from fully engaging in your walk with God. Distractions coming from a distortion. How do you know? The Holy Spirit will reveal it. And maybe if you're not keen on listening to the Holy Spirit, tell you somebody else that'll reveal it. Are you ready? Your children and your grandchildren. If you ask your children and your grandchildren, hey, what do you think is the most important thing in my life? They'll tell you. They watch and they know. Maybe that'd be, maybe you don't want to do that. You know, let's just take that out of the equation. Let's just go back to the Holy Spirit. He's nicer. Okay. That would be my encouragement just to ask the Holy Spirit to shine a light on the idols in our life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Commandment number one is about 
the right God. Commandment number two is about worshiping him in the right way. And it is on this day, I want to remind you that there's only one way to know God and one way to truly worship him. And his name is Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. One God and one way to worship him. It begins and ends in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you don't know God in that real personal way. Jesus has never saved you, forgiven you, and made you new. You could do that today. You could receive his grace gift into your life today. Simply by humbling yourself and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. And God, I know I can't fix me or make me right enough to meet your holiness. But I believe Jesus came to this earth to do that in my place. So on this day, I want Jesus to come into my life. I want him to save me, but I want him to be my Lord. I want him to be my king and my master and my chief from this day forward. And God, I want to live this life and my forever life in your presence. Thank you for doing for me what I could never do for myself. Thank you for saving me. And Maybe you're here today and you've already made that decision. So the question then is this. Are there things in your life that you need to do some spring cleaning, that you need to just put them in their proper place and say, God, I'm sorry. I want you to get back on the throne of my life again. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. We thank you, God, when the truth just punches us in the soul. We thank you, God, that you do it in love because you are inviting us to this new place in the journey. You want to redeem and restore. So, God, help us respond to that. Help this be a moment when we lay it down again and put you back in our life where you belong. Thank you, God, for being good all the time. I pray, God, if there's those today who would receive Jesus into their life, that it wouldn't be a covert, covert operation, God, that they would let the world know, that they would let us know so we could help and encourage them with the greatest decision that they could ever make in their forever life. We give you praise for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.